RadioInfluence.com Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10-12-60 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. All right, and welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell. We're your weekly source for performance information, and I am so glad... You joined us today. Hey, if you want to reach out, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is our email. Questions, comments, smart remarks. We love them all, as you know. Or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, uh, please write to us. We have dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas. As a matter of fact, as I'll explain in a minute, uh, some of our major themes have come from our audience and your curiosity. You know, as much as we like to get you guys thinking, you guys get us thinking, it's a beautiful partnership. Hey, on Twitter, follow me, at Jeff Crush, and on all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance, and we can hook out there. Keep your eye open. Again, on Crush Performance, there's a new website coming with a lot of cool new hookups, and uh, we're pretty happy about this one. Uh, and again, it's evolution, just like everything else. You got to evolve, uh, technology uh, advances, and you got to try to take advantage of it to uh, make the delivery system for us better but also the sharing of information, which is truly what it's all about. And that takes us to today's show. The first episode here in 2021 dedicated fully to the Crush Brain Game. We have two major themes this year, the Crush Brain Game and talent. Talent ID, talent development, and everything uh, that, that, that is covered by that huge umbrella. Well, the other huge umbrella is the brain game. It is a massive topic. And so we've dedicated the entire 2021 season uh, to these themes. And why two, you might ask? Well, these two are so intertwined. They're so entangled. They go hand in hand together. And the more we learn about the brain and brain development, the more we realize that it is tied directly into talent, skill development, skill acquisition, and even just overall maturity which we kind of knew before, but with new technologies that are now out, you know, with the neuro and biofeedback, with uh, the brain imaging and the mapping abilities that we now have, we're not only just mapping the brain to see what's happening up there, we're monitoring it. And then we're also able to attack specific regions. And we've never, ever been able to do this before in the history of mankind. And that's why we are so enamored and so fascinated by this period of human performance. And I'll comfortably say that the one area that holds the greatest potential for pushing human performance forward is the brain. All right. And that's why we're dedicating uh, this year to the theme of the brain. Today, we are going to be joined by crush favorite, Dr. Martin Morazic, clinical neuropsychologist and professor at the U of A. Uh, Dr. Morazic is one of the people who have really got us thinking differently about the brain through his connections, through his research, and also in our understanding of concussions, brain damage, and also healing the brain. He's one of the global leaders in brain injury, concussion, rehabilitation, and our understanding and what that's all about. He consults with the NFL, the CFL. He consults with the NHL and very, very involved in youth development and what is happening with those young brains. How does that differ from a mature, uh, older athlete? And what are the consequences long term? Still lots of work to do there. But he has been one of the people who's really helped shed light on that entire area of brain performance. And uh, we're really looking forward to have him on today as we set the tone for what the Crush Brain Game is all about. All right. So we're at the very early stages of our true understanding of what the brain is all about, what it does and how it works. And, you know, you can kind of break the brain up into two areas, kind of like a computer. You have the hardware, the brain itself, and we've got a very good understanding of brain anatomy. Very good, right down to the cellular level. Um, we also have a good idea of the wiring, the nerves, the nervous system, and the incredible feedback loop that is the brain and the nervous system. This is a never-ending loop. The brain literally connects and communicates with every single cell in your body and every organ, and vice versa, those cells and organs give feedback that the brain responds to. The brain is like mission control. It takes all the information coming in. 
It all gets collected there and the brain has to deal with it. And over the course of our lives, how we're trained, how we think, what we're exposed to, our environments, our friends, our, ter- our parents, the sports we play, all influence our brain and causes our brain to wire certain ways so we maybe get good at some things and maybe not so good at other things. The great news is the one thing we really do understand now in terms of neuroplasticity and brain training is how trainable the brain really is. All of these organs, our skin, our touch, our smell, sound, sight, especially for sport, they all send information and feedback to our brain that we have to rewire and decide what to do with it all. Now, some of it is important and we act on it, we wire it in and remember it. Some of it's not that important. There's many, many mysteries in the brain as to how we decide subconsciously, mostly during our sleep time, what's important and what's not, what gets wired in hardcore and what we just sort of put to the side because maybe we don't have the bandwidth to handle it right now. But like a computer, we have the hardware, the brain, the nervous system, uh, the organs and the feedback loop that make up you know, the structure of this entire incredible feedback loop. And then we have the software. And those are the things that, you know, make up who you are, the attributes and the traits that make up the individual. Things like, you know, maybe um, personality and attitude, how you approach things, um, your, your grit, your determination. It also might be perception, how you perceive things. It might be the way you make decisions. And there's many, many more. And then along that, you also have these incredible periods of development, periods that we call critical periods of development. Now, in our long-term athlete development, we know that's very established. And even though those windows aren't written in stone, we know there are stages of maturity that if we train certain things at certain times, we can really, really help develop well-rounded, capable, trainable, adaptable athletes and people in general. And running right alongside those stages of physical development, we have these stages of neural and cognitive development as well. And together... Together, they truly start painting an incredible picture. And Dr. Morazic is going to help us uh, start down that road today to start getting an understanding of what the brain game is all about, how important it is to the individual, how outside influences can change how we develop and, and what we think, even how we think, how learning happens. All of these things we need to uncover in order to get better at it because I truly believe that once we get our, our heads around this whole concept and once we have a better understanding of how the brain works, how it responds and adapts to stimulus, but also with these new technologies, how we're now able to train the brain and attack certain regions and parts of the brain for specific outcomes. Oh man, we are maybe one of the most exciting times in human performance and human development. So without further ado, let's get after it. I'm very, very happy to introduce our good friend and crush favorite, Dr. Martin Morazic, clinical neuropsychologist and professor from the U of A. Dr. Morazic, thanks for joining us as we set the stage for the Crush Brain Game. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always, uh, it's always great to be a part of these conversations, Jeff. Well, I'm not sure now. I'm not sure if I've lost a little sleep over this or I've certainly spent a lot of time and effort thinking about it. And I'm wondering sometimes if we haven't bitten off more than we can chew. Because when I start contemplating the brain and everything involved in the brain game, this turns out to be an almost universe unto itself. Uh, the brain is so incredible. It sure is. And uh, you know, as you've outlined there, there is, there's an awful lot to think about and I'll just kind of give you a brief example. So, you know, I'm in my early fifties here and the other day I, I got on my bike to work out and I ended up having a really great workout. Like I just felt good. I performed well. I keep track of my metrics and then I started thinking, well, why was that? Right. Was it because I had a good sleep? Was it because I'm drinking more water? I'm being more conscious of that these days. Um, was I less stressed that day? Was I, uh, was it the time of day? Was it what, what I've been eating? Like all these things that you start to think about that could go into that. So, uh, you know, how to break that down is, is no easy task. And yet I, I think it's a good thing to do because we want to try to understand, even though the, the brain is this complex 
um, you know, uh, three pound organ in our brain or in our heads, uh, I think it is helpful to break down some of what we know and translate into meaningful applications. Yeah, for sure. And with people out there who are dealing with stress, anxiety, who are dealing with busy brain or um, lacking coping mechanisms or, you know, just just looking for ways to get better. These conversations I find are 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 really important if for no other reason it gets you maybe thinking about things that maybe you weren't aware of before or maybe you weren't thinking about before. And that kind of the the essence behind the crush brain game. We have right now, Dr. Morazic, and I think I've talked to you about this many times. Our listeners know this well, almost at nauseum <laughs> we're talking about this. But I truly do believe that we have four foundations for athletes that really do set us up for success. And if they're not addressed properly at the beginning, we're really battling an uphill, uphill battle. And that's, that's sleep, rest, and recovery. We believe that if those have to be first and foremost addressed, if we're going to truly tap into potential of our clients, our teams and our organizations and all the work that we do, uh, volume and intensity in season, off season, um, should be revolving around the quality of rest and recovery we can get. But sleep is king. Protect your sleep. And then we have nutrition, hydration, and then posture, range of motion. And then we teach movement. And then, boom, we get into the ebb and flow of true performance development. But what we found and what I've found over the years, if those four aren't really seriously addressed right at the beginning, it's an uphill battle. But you are one of the culprits, <laughs> I'll say, who's, who's caused me to lose so much sleep. And I thank you for it because you've also been one of the um, real guiding lights in, in getting everybody on the show and myself included thinking differently about the brain and its role in performance. And now we're considering trying to put the brain maybe at the top of our hierarchy, Dr. Morazic, because, uh, you know, in our conversations with you and Urban Meyer and all the people that we've had on the show, um, we're really starting to understand that, boy, you know, if our brain, if we're not aware of it and if it's not functioning properly, nothing else really works well. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes good sense. And I'll, I'll throw it right back at you. You've uh, caused me to lose a bit of sleep after our conversations, <laughs> too, because it's, it's really good to think about these things at a higher level. And, and uh, you've, you've been great at promoting these topics. And, and yeah, absolutely. Like when it comes to, I, I think that there, there's a lot out there, but I think when we get, uh, get down to some basic principles of how the brain works, and of course, we're not going to know everything, but we, we do know some things. And I think those things are really helpful for us because uh, for some individuals, maybe that's an area that they haven't thought about, uh, that they haven't really, uh, you know, spent enough time on and considered. And that's why I think that broad picture is really important because there's something for everybody. And some people are probably going to be doing some things very well, um, but there's there's other things that maybe they haven't thought of or they're, or they're not doing very well. And so that's why I think, uh, like like I said, just breaking things down into different pieces, understanding basic principles can be really helpful for for athletes. Right. We often say, and even when we're working with our athletes, trying to solve performance issues as we move forward and, and trudge through the developmental process, um, one of our uh, mandates or one of our guiding principles is a problem accurately defined is already partially solved. So really defining the issues at hand is a critical, critical move um, uh, for all of our programs. And I think this is very similar. So for simplicity's sake, does it make sense to you that if we looked at the brain and everything that it entails, we have the actual nervous system and the structure, the brain, the eyes, the ears, the nose, everything that puts puts information into the brain, the brain makes sense of it and, and, and gives us a, a result. So we have the hardware and then the, what comes out, the personality and, and the attitude and your maybe energy levels or your perception of energy levels, you have the software on the other side of it. Do you think that's a working analogy that people could sort of sink their teeth in when we try to understand this massive, massive uh, topic of the brain and brain function? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, we do know that there's some, some basic um, physical, biological components to the brain. Uh, and so that's the hardware. And what is that? And what are the different pieces of that? And how do they work? And then, as you say, I, I think the software, I think most people can relate to computers nowadays and having good programs and programs that work very efficiently and how to improve those programs. And I mean, the brain is very complicated, but we do have the physiological, physical structures, and then we have how it works and how it processes information. So yeah, those, the, that, that analogy is, is really good. It really kind of helps. And I think 
think breaking up the, the different components of the kind of physical side of things and then looking at the the other software side of things is, is a good way to put it. Yeah. Do you like the idea of the brain and the mind? You know, in, in a lot of the literature we've been studying here and over the years with people we've talked to, and I think you and I have actually discussed this uh, um, at one or more times for certain um, the brain and the mind are, are two, would you call them two separate entities? I mean, this is a, this is kind of an area where, you know, you almost need some expertise to really divide these up, but there's a lot of talk out there about the brain as the structure. And then the mind sort of is what we're comparing to as as the software of, of, does that kind of make sense on your end and in your experiences? Yeah, for sure. And, and in the world of, of the neural sciences, I mean, we, we do have this kind of interesting philosophy where some people uh, think we're dualists, where the mind and the body are very separate things. And then we have the, the people that would say that they're together, right? That it's it, you can't discriminate or differentiate them. So philosophically, there are certainly those differences, and people have arguments for, for uh, both of those. Um, but there is that distinction, right? Where, uh, you know, is, it, uh, is the mind very separate from the physiological process, or how separate is it? Or are those things just uh, part and partial and, and, and all the all the same system? I mean, I think there's good arguments for both. Uh, but at, at the same point, I, I think uh, people do understand that there is the physical parts of the brain and, and we want, we can learn a lot about that. And then we have the, the software, what you're calling it, uh, kind of the psychological processes of the brain. And, and I think understanding both of those, how much they work together, again, I think that's probably, uh, you know, like I say, a philosophical debate, but there's definitely those two camps. Yeah. Uh, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it might help like the layperson maybe kind of grasp better these, all the different, uh, um, facets that are involved in the brain without question. And at least in my humble opinion, the brain is one of the most sophisticated, uh, organs in our known universe. I mean, it is just so fascinating. How does this thing work? <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of it. But we're at a pretty exciting time, I think, in our knowledge base. And some of the strategies that we're now seeing and some of the technologies, Dr. Morazic, that we're seeing that are allowing us to monitor, map, and even train the brain real time is opening up an incredible period of understanding for how the brain works and even how we might be able to influence to operate at higher levels. I'm incredibly excited about what's going on out there. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot of really interesting things going on in the neurosciences these days. And the fact that we can uh, kind of in real time, not just guess what may be going on in the brain, but we can actually measure uh, at the very basic physiological levels, whether it's neurochemistry, uh, whether it's brain activity uh, with uh, functional imaging scans, those type of things. Um, they're, they're all uh, uh, really allows us to do some things. And so I think that research has been very helpful, right, to, to help us understand what we actually are get or what we used to guess was going on in a person's head. Now we can actually look at some of those, uh, you know, some of those facets by, by uh, our imaging and, and uh, functional uh, imaging technologies. We're joined by Dr. Martin Morazic, clinical neuropsychologist at the University of Alberta. Um, Dr. Morazic, so if we start looking at, um, you know, the structure of the brain, we have that pretty well mapped out, the anatomy models and even understanding of the nervous system and how it's working. We've come a long, long way there. And I think, I think that's quite established, though I'm sure there's more to learn and we'll continue learning there. But when it comes to the software side, the mind side, we talk about things like maybe personality, decision-making, attitude, um, decision-making, and, and especially one that's really interesting to me, especially in terms of our athlete development, is the concept of perception. And I think what we're, what we're really understanding now, and, and if this makes sense, please let me know. I'm, uh, this is, I'm going to maybe frame this in a statement, but it's actually a question. Uh, we're really getting a better understanding that we can actually train and influence all of these softwares by changing the environment, altering the input, or even just being mindful of what we're, what we're paying attention to. Does that sort of resonate with you? And, and do you sort of agree with, with where, I, where I maybe think we're at in terms of, of the brain training side of things? Yeah, no, it makes a great deal of sense and kind of all, all trend into uh, one of, I, I think, where we've learned a lot about neuroplasticity and uh, there, are, there are various chemicals and one of them is called the brain-derived neurotropic releasing factor that's gotten a lot of attention. And this is one of the chemicals in the brain that really fosters connections uh, in the brain. And especially it happens during critical periods. And one of the critical periods we know for perception in uh, developing 
uh, uh, you know, children between the ages of eight and 11 uh, is, is where they integrate uh, sensory and perceptual information, right? So they're really learning about their bodies. They're learning to process what they see. So if it's a ball coming at them, if it's the timing and anticipation of things, if it's understanding how to, uh, you know, respond quickly to various situations and uh, the critical periods uh, in the brain uh, really have some important neurochemical factors like this brain-derived neurotropic releasing factor and one of the roles that it does play is in spatial awareness and also in memory. And those two things, of course, really are so important for, for athletes, right? It's just to remember how the body does things, to remember how to perceive things. And so, like you say, I, I think that, that really uh, makes a lot of sense. And if we go into, I'm not a chemist, but when if we go into the uh, the real details of neurochemistry, we'll see that uh, that does play a role in activities like perception and uh, spatial awareness and memory. I love the concept of critical periods. You know, I've been involved in the Sport Canada's uh, long-term athlete development program for years and years, uh, really involved on the baseball side. Um, but I love the program. I love the concept that, that Sport Canada's put together and they're, they're continuing to learn and refine it. Um, but it is also based on physiological and long-term growth periods of development. So they've broken it down into age groups and, and things that um, um, we should be doing inside of those age groups. Because uh, I think what our tendency is, is we, we throw the whole bag of tricks at our young people, training them like they're adults when they're not really equipped for it. So I like this progressive idea. And I love the sound of the, or the, I love the, the sound of the critical periods in brain development as well. Boy, does that answer a lot of questions. And, and that's something that I do believe we, we might need to pay more attention to uh, in our developmental programs. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I couldn't agree uh, more, and I, I, I've always appreciated your your focus on the development of the whole athlete, um, because I, I think that when we look at uh, developmental principles in the brain, we do know that the brain, uh, different uh, parts of the brain and different sensory sensory components develop at different times, and they go through different critical periods. For example, language is one of the earlier critical periods. So when an infant is first uh, born, uh, they they actually have the capacity to understand most of the phonemes of all languages. And then over time, uh, as they go through this critical period, uh, it's obviously uh, to their advantage to focus on the languages in their environment. And so uh, the critical uh, period uh, you know, goes pretty rapidly, but eventually does shut down to some degree so the, the child can focus on the language around them. And so we, we know that as a principle then, critical periods uh, happen. And during those critical periods, it's really... Uh, important that that we are helping the brain and one of the uh, important things that we know about critical periods uh, is is that exercise is something that helps with critical periods and it increases uh, what we call the brain derived neurotropic releasing factors stress shuts it down and so if you think of you know you're trying to grow a garden and the brain-derived neurotropic releasing factors are like a fertilizer, right? It really enhances the connections of the brain. It enhances uh, what we call neuroplasticity, which is the amount of neurons, uh, the, the number of, of receptors, the dendrites and axons and so on. It's really important for that. And exercise is really important for that. And especially as we go through those critical periods from the age of about 8 to 11, the brain's spatial awareness and input for sensory information is really, really going through a rapid critical period. Period. And that's why I, and we've had these conversations about uh, specializing too early, right? But during those critical periods, the more kids do of different activities, the more it's going to foster their perceptions and their ability to perceive not just specific sport-related activities, but general activities. And, that, and so that makes a great deal of sense that during those times, you want to make sure that kids are doing a lot of different things, that they're not just specializing, because otherwise, uh, again, they're just working certain roles circuits more than others. And then as they, they evolve out of that critical period, uh, then they'll have just less of that circuitry for, uh, for later on. And uh, I think a, a great example of that, if I can go on here, uh, is, is uh, uh, Josh Allen, uh, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. He's a great example. Uh, when he was, uh, there's a great story about him, but when he was playing uh, high school sports, he played all sports. And because of that, he wasn't recruited to any major colleges. And uh, even though he showed a lot of potential, nobody kind of looked at him because he wasn't a specialist in sport uh, or in football. And even as he went into his college days, he'd wanted to play all sports. 
Uh, but then as he as he really showed his prowess at the University of Wyoming, um, you know, because he had such athletic abilities, such general athletic abilities, he's gone on to prove himself that he can really specialize. And uh, my point there is is that I, I think that the exception uh, really is that we have these specialists that are like a Tiger Woods at a young age, but most most kids develop um, in, in a way that I think they the more you develop the general abilities and the general physical athletic skills, the more that's going to set them up for later on in life as opposed to specializing early on. Oh, it makes so much sense. We're talking with Dr. Martin Morazic, clinical neuropsychologist and professor at the U of A. Um, that is a fascinating conversation, especially when we look at, you know, building well-rounded, robust athletes. Um, this goes well, well beyond sport. We could talk about actors. We could talk about musicians. We could talk about, it's a human thing at the end of the day. And that's a sort of a catchphrase and a saying that we've worked into our literature and our sayings right now. You know, a lot of this is a, is human stuff. And, and if we can sort of build the model or the environment where people have the opportunity to explore and try new things, they'll gravitate to things they're good at. There's no question about it, but to have the opportunity to make those choices might be one of the most important factors there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes good sense, right? Because what we're trying to do here is we're really trying to uh, allow the brain, if we look at the principles of the brain and brain growth, we want to set it up where it has as many opportunities to continue with the, the neural connections. And so that's why uh, the more opportunity, we, we know from the studies that, that when they, they did animal studies and they exposed animals to very uh, small, restricted uh, environments, that their, their brain growth, the brain size, uh, the thickness of the cortex was really affected by that. But uh, in enriched environments, right, these, uh, these animals had much larger brains and they had uh, thicker cortices. And so it just makes a great deal of sense that, yeah, when we're coming to developing athletes, especially is that I, I think just keeping them active, keeping them doing a lot of things is really good for the brain. And on the other side of it is we just want to avoid stress. I mean, stress is inevitable. Uh, we're all dealing with stress uh, right now. Uh, but at the same point, just when, when we think of developing athletes, if they feel stress playing a certain sport or, or so on, that's not going to be a good thing for them personally, but also for their brain. So yeah, those that that general principle I think is a is a really important one. Yeah, and so let's let's get back to the concept of neuroplasticity because everything we do literally changes our brain. Is that a fair statement? That is very fair. Yep. Yeah, and one of my early exposures to that, and this is just at the tail end of my university um, career, just as I was wrapping up my degree, um, I took every possible course in psychology that I could before they shut me down and said, okay, if you want to take any more courses, Kershell, you got to enter the faculty of psychology, which I wish I could have. But one of the most fascinating courses I ever took was uh, neurophysiology. And one of the studies that we um, sort of looked at inside of, of uh, that course, as we're looking at brain regions and the influence of environment and input on brain regions is the study of the New York or the uh, London taxi cab drivers versus the London uh, bus drivers. And what they did is they looked at the, the, uh, um, the, the hippocampus of, of each of those populations. And they found that the taxi drivers had a much more developed hippocampus than the bus drivers. So the bus drivers were just, you know, following the same routes all the time and they didn't have to change, but the taxi drivers had to know every nook and cranny in that city in order to get their license. Anyway, it, it, that, that study, man, that's years and years ago. That isn't it funny how something like that would just change my entire thought process when it came to brain function and brain function in terms of performance. But for me, that was a turning point uh, in the crush brain game. And that was years and years ago before we ever talked about this. Uh, but it also, when we talk about the conversation today, uh, Dr. Morazic, it, it really does resonate still with me and how incredibly adaptable the brain is. For sure. And, and that's kind of a classic landmark study that, uh, that you're referring to. Uh, and so when we look at, uh, you know, predictors or, or things that um, really uh, limit the aging process, which uh, as you get older, of course, you, you want to maintain your, your cognitive uh, abilities. Uh, again, we saw taxi cab drivers because they always had to challenge their brain. They had to navigate through their environment. And that reinforced what you're saying, which we know now at the molecular level is that there was a lot of things going on 
inside the brain that uh, really, uh, uh, you know, prepare the conditions. And so when you mentioned the hippocampus, that's important for memory formation. And the more memory, uh, the more, uh, the, the, the greater that we have in terms of our ability to associate meaning to things and associate things together. Uh, again, that's just really important for the brain. And as we age, uh, again, memory is the one of the first things to go. So it tells us that we have to keep doing things to push our memory systems and exercise and moving around our environment is really helpful for that. So again, as a basic principle of, of the brain, uh, really making sure that we're, we're keeping ourselves busy and active and not in the same routines and ruts. Uh, that, that again, is just a really good principle to keep in mind as we, as we think about keeping our health and, and, uh, you know, really developing athletes that, uh, from, from the time that they start playing sports all the way into their older adult years. Yeah, I can't help, even in this conversation, and I apologize for opening this Pandora's box, <laughs> I, I apologize in advance, but I can't help but think of the epic the epic um, battle, or conversation at least. Let's go a little softer and call it the epic conversation between nature versus nurture. They're so integrated together um, that sometimes I, I don't know if we can even separate them, but if we have an understanding of both and how they work together, maybe that is the, the golden standard we should, should be shooting for. Yeah, no, like you say, it is, it's a huge question, right? Is how much of it is nature or our natural biological abilities? I mean, you look at some of the, the professional sports, the Super Bowl is coming up and, and you have some people like Patrick Mahomes that are just insane athletes. And it doesn't matter who you are, but he's got some very, very special talents that few people have. Um, you know, it's not like everybody can become a Patrick Mahomes, but to maximize our own individual potential. I think that's what we're talking about is how do we take what we know about the brain and maximize what a person can do. So maybe you're not a great runner, but you could be a better runner. Well, how does that happen? Uh, that kind of principle. So yeah, it, it, it is a, it is a, of course a very big topic, but I, I think as, as you uh, like to like to, uh, you know, talk about it's how do we break that down into its meaningful components. Uh, and that's why I think breaking down the brain and understanding some, some of these basic principles like critical periods, like uh, what things improve uh, the, the brain-derived neurotropic releasing factors, uh, what, uh, when the critical periods are, and what uh, can enhance uh, you know, a child's learning and, and ability in sports during those critical periods. Those are really good conversations. They are very important conversations and ones that I think we need to be having more often, especially at the grassroots level. You know, it's easy to talk about performance at elite sport. We all know what we have when athletes are coming into college or amateur Olympic sport. We have a pretty finished product and all we're trying to do is, you know, shine them up, round them up and maybe even still make them better. But, but we have a really good idea of what's going on. But if we were to take a long-term approach here, these are the conversations that I think are going to lead us down a new road when it comes to human performance. Oh, such great stuff. All right, everybody, we have to cut up for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to Continue the discussion with Dr. Martin Morazic on the Crush Brain Game. And I want to get into critical periods of development. We know about it on the physical side. Let's find out what we know about critical phases of development when it comes to the brain game right after this on Crush Performance. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Today, we are talking about the Crush Brain Game, one of our themes for 2021. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on social media, search out Crush Performance and we'll hook out there. All right, we're into a very, very interesting conversation with our good friend, Dr. Mark Morazic, neuropsychologist from the U of A. And Dr. Morazic, we were just talking about, you know, periods of development and the idea that the cognitive side and the mental side of development is as, if not more important than the physical side, but we know they work hand in hand. At the end of the day, you know, we're all sort of products of our environment and whether we're dealing with issues, you know, short term, like this COVID um, landscape that we're all in, or whether we're looking at uh, long-term problem solving, nobody does it alone. You know, all of those athletes we watch and admire on TV, it's so fun to watch. And, you know, it's actually really incredible to watch them develop over time. We've all had the luxury, even if you're not a football fan, 
to see great athletes like Tom Brady, you know, work through his career from being what a seventh string, you know, collegiate uh, quarterback to getting drafted 199th overall to forging out one of the most powerful quarterback careers in the history of the uh, NFL. Incredible. We could talk about Wayne Gretzky or more recently, uh, LeBron James or Sidney Crosby, who I've had, I've really enjoyed watching Sidney Crosby because, um, the pressure that was put on that young, young man when he was uh, entering the NHL and to see Mario Lemieux take him under the wing and guide him and mentor him through all of the, all of the uh, uh, chaos that is professional sports in the NHL. It's been a real treat to watch some of these athletes come together and you sort of get an idea that there is a very distinct process uh, to honing and developing skills over time. And man, maybe that just comes down to maturity, but nobody does it alone. For sure. And, and I think that what you're doing there is a person's connectivity uh, to others, right? Uh, that really fosters their psychological well-being. And the more connected people are, the better they are uh, in terms of just their overall productivity. Uh, they say that on average, the average person has about 200 connections in their world. And when we look at people who are dealing with mental health conditions like depression or anxiety, their world shrinks a bit and the number of meaningful interactions that they have decreases. Uh, conversely, when people are uh, you know, doing very well and motivated and goal-oriented and doing well, you're going to see the number of connections that they have increase. So as, to your point, it's, it's very interesting that we see this general principle is that being together and being connected and, and overcoming some of the perhaps the mental health issues uh, that can shrink our social circles, that's really important because that, that's a reflection of health and well-being. The more connected you are to other people. Oh, that is fascinating. Those numbers are fascinating. The number of connections and when you're disrupted or where there's, where there's a distraction or a condition that's not allowing you to operate properly, fewer con- connections. Well, I could tell you there's few people in the world right now that haven't had connections severed because of COVID. And it's no wonder that we're seeing sort of uh, the mental state sort of deteriorate um, as a whole, uh, from our children right up to our adults, the stress levels are at an all-time high. Awareness has to be a big part of this, don't you think, Dr. Morazic? For sure. And, and uh, you know, when, when you say awareness, I think at the individual level, so we have to know when we're doing well, when we're not doing well. Uh, but then, you know, uh, you know, at the, the coaching in the next level, right, is, is knowing when a player seems to be struggling or is not doing as well. And then at an organizational level. So awareness of those social connections, I think, is really important. And in my area of concussions, as, as you know, one of the things that we see is that in the initial uh, days after an uh, insult to the brain, uh, you know, a person's ability to, uh, like, in terms of their awareness of symptoms, uh, need, really needs guidance from others and really needs people to, to come along and, and help them through those symptoms and encourage them to do the right things. So, again, when, it talks about, when you talk about awareness, I think uh, really having a, a system in place where people learn about self-awareness, they learn what's good for them, they learn what's not good for them, and then how to, how to be motivated. And really good coaches is... is uh, uh, you have lots of experience with really good coaches understand uh, what players need and how to develop and, and how they need to be challenged. And again, there's such individual differences. Some players are very internally um, motivated, others externally motivated. And so just an awareness of how that person is going to respond is, is just really critical, especially in those younger years. Oh yeah, I know a fascinating conversation. We're talking with Dr. Martin Morazic, clinical neuropsychologist and professor at the U of A. Um, well, you've uh, opened yet another pen Pandora's box, the concussion uh, talk and damage to the brain. And I have to say, I, I, and I think I'm very comfortable in saying this, you know, um, in recent times with all of the attention given to brain, brain injuries in sport, do you feel that's really opened a lot of doors in terms of research? We know that for sure, but also I think it's really contributed to our overall understanding of the brain and how it works, um, recovering from those injuries, how they happen, the long-term effects. Um, it's been a fascinating ride, but we've come out with an incredible body of work and incredible body of knowledge because of all the efforts being done in that area of study. Yeah, it, no, it has been really exciting. And like you say, I think at first it was, well, how do we avoid concussions? 
and I'll go back to a quote from Nick Lewis. He used to, uh, uh, he played for the Stampeders and then from the Montreal Alouettes. And, and his quote was, we, we shouldn't be focusing so much on concussions. We should be focusing on brain health. And I think that that initial point of, oh, hey, concussions are bad. We recognize that. What can we do has really segued into, well, how do we keep our brains healthy? How do we uh, develop resilient brains so that they can, uh, you know, really overcome issues like concussions or other issues? So I think it has been very, very helpful to to understand uh, that. And then when I look at the scientific literature, it's really branched out now into understanding that that when we have mental health issues with athletes, that can be predictors of injury, that can be predictors of concussions, those type of things. So it reminds us that this brain is a sophisticated piece of equipment, but when it's not functioning properly, uh, whether it's due to uh, mental health issues, uh, whether it's due to stress, those type of things, it is sensitive and it doesn't respond as well. Uh, so like you say, I agree that that really has opened up some some really great avenues. So now we've come full circle here. What a what an incredible what an incredible um, talk this has been to get back to this point right now. Um, you know, the brain and how important it is for overall functioning uh, gets us back to the crush brain game. Where do we prioritize the brain? And then what should we prioritize in terms of setting people up for success? That awareness is incredibly important. The development and maturity over time is incredibly important. But as understanding where an athlete is at right now is one of our um, uh, most important factors when we're setting somebody up in a program. We really need to understand where they're at right now. We also have to have a clear idea of where they're going. That's kind of the trip we plan. But in that, you know, again, getting back to our sleep, rest, recovery, our nutrition, hydration, our posture, range of motion, our four priorities, the last one being movement. Boy, I can't help but think, boy, if we spent a little more time understanding where people are at with their mental health and even their brain function now, Dr. Morazic, with some of the technology we have, we might have an even greater influence on their ability to one, stay healthy for the greater population, but for our athletes really tap into levels of potential that we never ever have been able to tap into before. I can't help but think this and I've never been more excited about anything. And I'm trying to, you know, with the crush brain game this year, trying to establish it. Okay. Yes, we should. And on that note, one of the game changing conversations with, with, for me was with you and Dr. Urban Johnson a couple of years ago when he made the trek here to Edmonton and, and spent some time with us um, and to talk about coping strategies and, and helping athletes deal with issues, be aware of those issues. Uh, but, but man, I haven't, I haven't stopped thinking about that almost daily because uh, for me, it should be happening just all the time everywhere. Yeah, no, you're right. And for me, it was, it was also really pivotal uh, and and I'll, I'll defer back to some of those. I think the important uh, principles there is is that when we look at all the different things that can predict injuries, right, in in athletic performance, uh, the the variable that accounted for the most variance was psychological variables, and I, I still think that's very profound, right? Is that when we think of how athletes are really geared up to perform well, but to avoid injuries as well. No athlete wants to get injured, and yet. I think where we, we don't have as many answers is in that psychological realm uh, where there hasn't been as much research in terms of understanding that. And so like you say, I, I think that there is there is an awful lot there uh, when we, we, we look at psychology plays a significant role, but what is it about psychology? Some of it comes down to the hardware that you're talking about, keeping your brains healthy. Uh, Tom Brady's gotten a lot of press with his diet, right? And he follows some really important principles that I think are good for the brain, uh, but then we get into the software, which is, again, uh, how to deal with the, the psychological process of an athlete. And, uh, you know, I would go back to the individual differences that we often see uh, for some athletes, they're overthinkers, right? They overthink everything and that can be problematic. And then there's other athletes that are underthinkers or they're not as motivated. And we've seen our, our you know, our busts in, in different sport leagues because they, they couldn't figure out how to motivate themselves. And so again, that psychological piece spans a lot of different uh, areas, but the same point reminds us when we look at Urban Johnson's study of how big it can be and how much uh, as we think through the, the principles of related to the psychological functioning of, of athletes, how important that can be and helpful that can be in terms of promoting good performance, but also avoiding injury. 
Yeah, and I kind of think of it uh, as being proactive, setting people up, sort of setting the stage. And I would love to see more of that happening. I'm not sure exactly what the perfect formula is there, or maybe there's not, but but some kind of initial assessment that to go in just to, and maybe as you've said before, maybe some people need a little extra help, maybe some people don't. That being said, how influential um, are these things? You know, we the psychology has come such a long way. We've learned so much, and it's such an important part of of our ability to to move forward and we need help we need the experts like yourself to, to guide us through this sort of thing uh, because there are situations where psychology and mental health are very serious issues and there are strategies professionals have to help us get through that um, and that's sort of maybe reacting and helping to situations but i wonder if we were a little more proactive on the performance side if we were a little more proactive in setting our athletes up for success how malleable or how much do you think we can influence something like a person's ability, let's just say, go back to making those decisions or their ability to deal with anxiety if for no other reason than they're maybe more aware of their ability to actually cope with it. Does, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I think what you're talking about is is how do we kind of rewire or hardwire our brains yeah. and, 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 uh, you know, really set the conditions where people can get better at things. And, uh, you know, I would go back. So some of the, the studies that we, where we've learned about the, the wiring of the brain have been very fascinating. And we have this, uh, uh, this technology called transmagnetic stimulation. And basically it gives a map of the brain and just an example. So, uh, when, if they would do a map of the brain when somebody's playing the piano and if they've never played the piano before, we would see only a little bit of activity in the parietal lobes where people, you know, that's, that's where they integrate their sensory. So what they hear and what they're doing. And then if we look at six months down the road, if we were to take a, another map, we would see that suddenly there's a much larger area of the brain that's devoted to sound and to those specific finger movements. And so what that tells us then is that when it comes to training the brain, when it comes to training uh, a person's psyche, that there's certainly some things that we need to do that they do take time. And and uh, they they do require repetition. They do require hard work. But paying attention to those things can be really really important and really really helpful to them. And I think there's a lot of great individual stories where people have gone back to those training uh, procedures. Uh, Braden Holtby, he's now with uh, uh, the Vancouver uh, Canucks. But when he uh, won the Stanley Cup with uh, with Washington, he he was seeing a sports psychologist, and that was really important for his evolution because there were some gaps in his, uh, you know, reaction and in his, his workups and in his, uh, just getting ready for games. And so that made a huge difference for him. He had to learn how to activate his brain in a specific way. And so I think that's what you're getting at then is, is really understanding how those principles principles can be very helpful for, for every athlete. And there is something, as we've talked about today, there is something for everybody. It's going to be different for everybody, but there is something for everybody. And that's the crush brain game right there. Oh boy. Oh boy. We have a massive undertaking. The good news is we have this entire year to sort of vet it all out and put it together and make sense of it all. So you better be expecting some phone calls, mister, because we are going to be, we are going to be bugging you probably more than you ever dreamed as we work our way through 2021 here. But I have to thank you, Dr. Mrazek. What an incredible conversation. I think this really helps us set the stage for our crush brain game here and gives us some direction in some of the areas that we can focus on now to help everybody get a better understanding. Um, maybe as a final note, would it be safe to say, and would you agree with me uh, if I were to say, just like on the physical side, we have some top priorities that really do need to be addressed if we're going to be successful. And they're just fundamental. They are sleep, nutrition, and hydration, lifestyle, so to speak. Um, and if those things aren't in place, uh, is it fair to say even on the brain side, we're probably working in an uphill battle? I think there might be some truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in the area of that we call epigenetics, which looks at um, how, how our genetics influence uh, behavior. And that's a whole uh, very interesting area. But yes, you're right. Like we see that uh, certain things happen, especially with stress, where our genetics change in response to the environment. And so as, as you're pointing out here that, yeah, we, we want to be very aware, not just of physical training techniques, but psychological training techniques, things that are going to be working and helpful. And athletes know when they're motivated and they're excited to do something, how that changes the way they 
they train, how that changes the way that they participate in a sport. Uh, that's, that's, that's just incredible when you think of how, how to motivate or how athletes motivate themselves and how important that is because uh, that can make or break a person uh, just to, depending on, on how motivated and how engaged and how, how, how positive they feel about something. Andrew Huberman's work is really interesting for motivating state or motivational states. Anyway, but uh, I think your point is that, yes, the psychology, uh, the psychological side of things plays such a, a huge role in athlete performance. Yeah, no, no question. And then the, uh, the other area that, that we don't have time to get into today, but we'll defer this for another future conversation, hopefully sooner than later, is that sort of mat- maturing long-term approach. The idea of those critical periods is, is really, really important. And when we go back to work like, like uh, Carol Dweck, and her mindfulness uh, work and the influence of even how we talk to our children and how that can really, really influence how they approach things. Man, there are so many variables here. It's almost overwhelming, but we're going to try to piece it together. But but that long-term approach and that developmental models and and those variables that are in there, um, it's it's a fascinating conversation at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, and I agree. And there's something for everybody. There's certainly something to learn. Uh, some people probably know these things and other people, they may learn something new, but absolutely, there's lots to, lots to be had for everybody. Dr. Morasic, thank you so much for this conversation. We are off to the races on the Crush Brain Game. Many thanks to you and your team there and everything you guys are doing in this field of study. Great. As always, thanks for having me. All right, there you go, everybody. Crush favorite, Crush Hall of Famer, let's face it. Dr. Morazic is a Crush Hall of Famer. He's been on the show a lot and contributed a lot to our knowledge and our learning as well. Um, clinical neuropsychologist and professor at the U of A. That was a fantastic start to the Crush Brain Game. A magnificent kickoff because I don't think it could have gone better. You know, I set up my show notes prior to these interviews and even just prior to the shows where we're, we're putting together the topic lines. But I, just like just like building a program for an athlete, sometimes within the first few minutes of a workout with a new athlete, the whole program goes out the window because we discover maybe the athlete can't run backwards properly, or maybe they don't have the right body position, or we find a movement deficit that we need to attack before we address anything else. This is a very similar situation. We had this beautiful timeline and list of questions that went out the window as soon as we started talking And honest to goodness, that's truly what it's all about. You know, we kind of started off in, you know, breaking down the structure of the brain and our current understanding of the brain. You know, these deep dives are incredible, but it always comes back to fundamental basics. And when you look at the brain, you have, as we mentioned, that sort of computer-like setup. You have the hardware, which is the brain, the nervous system, the cells, the organs that give all the feedback. The brain puts it together and puts it out there so we act and respond appropriately to the input. And then you have the software. That's kind of the traits that make up the individual, our personalities, our attitude, our approach. That list can go on and on and on and on. But you put those two together, you kind of paint a picture of what the brain and the nervous system is all about. And it also gives you a framework as to how you might address it in terms of training it to make it move better. But then you have to understand. And one of the most important parts of this conversation today was the topic and the conversation revolving around the critical periods of development. Now, the the long-term athlete development program and the stages of development that are outlined in that incredible program coming out of Sport Canada um, has taken some taken some flack lately. You know, a lot of research out there saying, hey, man, you cannot prove that these windows of development exist. These windows of development aren't written in stone as the LTAD document might might specify. Well, here's what we do know. We do know that people mature. And yes, we do know that they also mature at different rates. But what we also know is that if you train the wrong things at the wrong time, you can either help that athlete or that person develop greatly, or you can set them back. But listen, not only set them back right now, you can also do irreparable damage to the long game of development. And we're seeing it right now. I think maybe a great example of that might be uh, today's youth sport. And if you go back to the conversation we had a couple weeks ago with Dr. Joe Baker to kick off our look into talent, talent development, he says something very, very powerful in that conversation. You know, when we're talking about the structure of our youth sports and how it is really set up not to help our athletes succeed, 
It's really set up maybe with the greatest of intentions, but it's set up in a way that can probably and more often than not does do more damage to development than it actually helps and, and um, uh, supports talent, talent development and, and youth and athlete development. And that's simply by the selection process. Simply by selecting an athlete who may at a certain point in development, they might be in the same window, let's say um, 10, 11, 12 years of age. You might have a 12-year-old that is way more mature than another 12-year-old. And as a matter of fact, some of the research out there that looks at you know, the, the, the rates of development, and there are different there are different types of development when you look at your athletes. When we talk about athlete context, right, you have to look at the chronological age, all right? Then you have the physiological age. Then you have the training age. And you can also have a biological age as well, depending where they're at in their hormone cycles and puberty and all these things come into play. But you can have a difference of three to four years of development, plus or minus, in the same age group. So you might have a 12-year-old that is showing like a nine-year-old. Or you might have a 12-year-old that's showing like a 13 or 14-year-old. Well, let's just say you're a coach or one of these selector, one of these people on these selection committees for 12-year-old volleyball players, 12-year-old hockey players, 12-year-old basketball players, 12-year-old baseball players. Doesn't matter the sport, tennis, golf, doesn't matter. You're on the selection committee and you see a 12-year-old that's bigger, stronger, and appears to be more skilled, but they're also from a physiological and maybe biological standpoint, two to three years more mature than the average 12-year-old. You select that 12-year-old and what is it exactly you're doing? Well, you're putting that more mature athlete into a developmental pipeline that actually would probably just unto the training and environment that that athlete will experience cause accelerated development. Whereas an athlete who is 12 and is actually younger, which for me personally is the athlete I would go after every time. Cause now if you think about it, you have so much more time to work with. You can take your time and go slow and really reinforce things because for all intents, they're not as mature. And that's an athlete for me personally, I would pick every time, but here's the big problem. Those younger athletes might not be showing as well at this point in time simply because they're not as mature, but they may have a significantly higher ceiling of potential three or four years down the road. Again, one of the reasons that we say on this show all the time, we are destroying more talent than we're creating. So you have to take your mature athletes, your mature 12-year-olds, and you have to challenge them for what they are and what they can do, but you also have to take your younger uh, 12-year-old athletes. And also challenge them based on what they can do. The selection process that we have is just devastating to development. And it's a big problem as Dr. Baker mentioned. So while the selection process in youth sport is maybe one of those damaging factors in terms of overall development, so is our competitive landscape. All of our youth sports seem to be driven by competition. And let me tell you something right now. Competition is not where you're going to get better. And this is where some of the genius of the long-term athlete development program really comes into play. There's a time for games. We love games. I love competing, right? But playing games is not the place to learn. Later on, 15, 16, 17, when you've established your skill set, when the physical uh, maturity is there, that's when you can start putting your skills to play inside of a competitive environment. And that's why you have the train to train, then train to compete, and then compete to compete, and then compete to win. It's a long-term process. Unfortunately, we go back to our five, six, seven-year-olds, we're competing to win. Compete, compete, compete. And we're losing skill. We're losing valuable time. We're destroying skill. I think I'm comfortable in saying that by over-competing. If we were to eliminate the majority of competition in youth sport, I predict that the overall talent pool would skyrocket, would skyrocket to places we could never imagine. Take baseball, for example. All right. How many ground balls does your nine-year-old shortstop get in a game? How many strikes does your 10-year-old pitcher actually throw in a game? How many fly balls does your center fielder get in a game? (laughs) Not many, if any at all, right? 
That's not development. That's killing time. Whereas in a practice, we could have them, you know, do numerous repetitions and correct them as they go. Now, don't get me wrong. We always play a game, some kind of game, but the overall emphasis has to be development, skill development. And then right alongside that, physical development to support game development. And then behind all of this, hidden away where nobody can see it, is the cognitive, mental, and the brain game of development. And that is running silently right alongside all that physical stuff that's going on. And once we get a better understanding of all of this, and once we actually put it into play, I think things are going to get pretty exciting. Here's the good news, I think, when we start looking at this part of the equation. You know, we're at a point now where we're starting to understand all of this. The long-term athlete development program is really coming into its own. And now that we're more aware of the mental and cognitive development, I think we're going to see some very, very exciting things happen. I think we can all understand that we need to take a step back and create environments where success can actually happen. That was a real important part of this conversation, that whole discussion with Dr. Morazic about the critical periods. The other thing that I thought was very, very important, and it did come out of that critical period conversation, is the idea that between 8 and 11 years of age, that's where, that's where young people start putting together sensory and perception information. It's a real critical time in development. Now, in the long-term athlete development program, I've often said this, the 9, 10, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, that's the most important group in the entire model because that's where skill acquisition happens. But not necessarily because they're physical, physically ready. It's just that they're able at that point to cognitively start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And if we're not giving them the stimulus and the training they need, not just in terms of skill and sports specificity, but in multiple sports and also in physical development to support those, those, um, um, those sport outcomes, man, oh man, that window closes really, really quick. And so you've got this incredible cognitive machine that's rolling along right alongside this incredible physical development machine. Here's the problem. We've just like our athletes and it is honestly, just like our athletes, we go to the things that we can see. We go to the things that we find are easy. We've got physical training down. There is not an athlete on this planet. And I say this with 100% confidence that we can't make faster, that we can't make stronger, that we can't make more powerful. If we want them to perceive and react better, we can do it. If we wanted to develop, develop a, a particular skill for a sport, a stride length, increase acceleration on the ice, we can do it. There is not much we can't train. We know about this stuff. But what we don't really understand yet, and it's coming, trust me, like a tidal wave, is the cognitive, perceptive, and the mental side of it all. And I'm not talking about sports psychology here. There's so much more than just sports psychology, though. That's an incredible part of it all. It's very, very important. The whole idea of mindfulness and dealing with anxiety, coping strategies, but also setting yourself up to control your thoughts, to control your skin temperature, to control your heart rate, your anxiety levels, to use anxiety to your benefit. And this is what I'm talking about. And this is what the crush brain game is all about. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is why we're dedicating this entire year to two major themes, the crush brain game and talent. I think you can see and maybe start to understand here why we're doing this because they run hand in hand. And boy, oh boy, when we start connecting these dots, some special things are going to happen. Now, a lot of them we have connected already, right? We're still putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Some of them are connected, but I don't think we have a complete picture yet. As a matter of fact, we don't because we still have plenty to learn, but there's an ebb and flow to coaching. There's also an ebb and flow to athlete development. And we know through the whole conversation for hundreds of years, the idea of nature versus nurture, it is not one or the other. Listen, talent isn't something that you're born with. Talent is something that you develop under circumstances and your children, your students, your athletes, they will select which way they're going to go. For the most part, we select things that we enjoy mostly because we're kind of good at it. So you're not going to get an endurance athlete maybe gravitating towards a power sport like shot put or javelin or, or pitching, right? 
and you're not going to get a power and speed athlete gravitating towards ultra marathoning like the Sahara Desert 100, right? That's not going to happen. We don't go that way. You know, that's why some kids are attracted to math. They're good at numbers, man. They enjoy it. They love problem solving because they're good at it. Some kids gravitate towards sports, some towards music. Some are great in the arts, acting, uh, painting, you know, sculpting. They have a creative mind, uh, script writing, telling stories, all these different avenues where people can excel. Hey man, it's a blank slate. What are you going to wind up doing? Here's even the greater news. There's no time limits on this. Though there is an ebb and flow to development, we now know that you can teach an old dog new tricks. So if you're, if you're, if you want to explore something new, don't shy away from it. Just analyze it, clearly define it, and then problem solve. Just like we talk about in the performance plan. Problem solve. A problem accurately defined is already partially solved. It is virtually impossible. Solve a problem when you don't know what the problem is. And how about we leave it right there for this week? All right? Because that's what the brain game is all about. That's what this talent is all about. The talent theme and the brain game theme for this year is all about. We are going to work our butts off with you and for you all this entire year to start getting that clear picture, to clearly defining the issues and the problems so we can start answering them. That's what it's all about. How much fun is that? All right. That's it for this week, everybody. Got to thank Dr. Martin Morazic again for joining us. Such great information. He will be on again. There's no question about it. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. All right. Get out there now. Go have some fun, stay safe, but most of all, get better. And we'll talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.